So we uh, had another fantastic city serve yesterday. Very thankful for it. Um, I was in in adult Sunday school. We broke up and we were saying what we were thankful for. And I am so thankful to be a part of this church. And I'm I'm always so impressed with our people when we do a block party or when we do a city serve event. Our people just jump in there. They, they serve well, they do it with a smile on their face, they make guests feel welcomed and valued, and um, yeah, so I was just, yesterday when I was a part of the City Serve event, I was just in gratitude and was so thankful to be a part of a congregation that cares about people outside of their church walls. So um, we, I think the number we counted is we were able to serve 25 guests um, at our city serve yesterday. So we had a magician come and perform. We had a bunch of different soups that were fantastic. I even uh, was lucky enough to go home with Dean's vegetable beef soup, which is always so good. And it was just a perfect day for soup. It was just so rainy. And I'm glad we can have some sunshine in here through our worship and our singing and being together because it was just a dreary weekend. So just wanted to let you know that that went well, and I'm very grateful to Lori and Sharon and Tam and Sabra, who lead our City Serve team. They just did an outstanding job with that. The magician was really good. He does a really good job. Tom Duplain is his name. Uh, so the kids enjoyed that. Isaiah even came home and was, he, you know, the, for those of you who are there, he put a spoon inside of a, like a little envelope, and then he pushed a knife through the spoon in the envelope. So Isaiah was home making that, and he actually made it pretty good, but uh, yeah, but so he just slid the spoon over in the envelope, and, uh, but it was cute, and he, you know, he was convinced it was magic, so... And so were we. (laughs) Uh, Hey, today we're going to wrap up our sermon series that we've been in for the last several weeks, uh, Back to School 2017. What we're doing in this series, for those of you who are here for the first time since we've started this series, is we're taking a look at these children's Sunday school stories that are taught in in church for the kids in, in Sunday school. And we're looking at these stories from an adult perspective and hopefully in somewhat of a fresh way. And my hope is that through this series, you've just been in awe of how God works and moves and cares for his people, and that it's in some way challenging you and encouraging you to trust him more fully in your day-to-day life. So that, that's been my hope and prayer. Uh, so far, the stories have focused on two people, uh, it's been a focus on Abraham, we've, we've focused on him, and Moses. And Abraham and Moses, I would say, are two of the three most important people in the Old Testament. Um, and today, to conclude our sermon series, we're going to focus on the third person that I think that should be in that group of the most important people in the Old Testament. Do you have any guesses as to who that person is? Anybody? David, yeah, we're going to focus on David. David's the answer. Um, By design, we have focused on Abraham, Moses, and today David, because that's going to lead us into our Christmas sermon series, which is going to focus, of course, on, on Jesus. And so that was the design of this sermon series, is to take us to Jesus, because Jesus is the greater Abraham. He is the greater Moses. He is the greater David. And he's not just the most important person in the entire Bible. He's the most important person in in human history, in all of human history. Um, So we are going to, we're going to look at this story involving David, and it is probably the most famous Old Testament children's Bible story of all. It is David and Goliath, right? So let's look at that. But before we um, get into the scripture itself, let me pray, and, and then we'll jump into it. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we are so thankful today for the many blessings that we have. I th- you know, looking at these kids on this stage, how 
how blessed we are to have these little ones in our lives. Even though it always doesn't feel that way, we know they are just a tremendous blessing to our families, to this congregation. Thank you for blessing us with so many little ones and, and new ones like, like Emery and, oh, fantastic. Lord, you also sustain us every day by giving us the air we breathe, by giving us a body that can move, by providing the food that we need for our bodies to, to continue on. And we recognize that all good gifts come from you. They all come from you. Thank you for being such a good father to us. And we thank you for today, the ultimate gift that you gave, the best gift of all, Jesus. What a tremendous king he is. What a servant he is. What a great lover of our souls that he is. Lord, I pray that as we think about this story about David and Goliath, that we would be just in all of you, that we would want to love you more fully, and that we would have a greater appreciation for um, what you've done through Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, I am, I, I'm torn between how much of Scripture do we read regarding this story, because it takes all of 1 Samuel 17, and it is 58 verses long. It's a long, long story. Um, so here's what I think we'll do. Game time decision. This is my game time decision. I think we're going to start at verse 19 because I think probably most of you, if not all of you, are familiar enough with this story that it will all make sense even if we start at verse 19. So that, that's my decision, and I'm sticking to it starting now. First Samuel 17, verse 19. Here we go. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. Jesse was David's dad, by the way. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. His brothers were fighting in the Israelite army, right? Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So if we were to read the verses previous to this passage, you know, David's, or Goliath is taunting the, the Israelites, you know, send somebody out to fight me. And so David heard those words again, verse 24, and then all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, when they saw Goliath, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. That'd be pretty sweet, no taxes for the rest of your life, for you and your family. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Elab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Elab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. I think he's just upset because he wasn't anointed king. Remember, if you go back a couple chapters, Samuel was looking for the next king, and he, you know uh, Jesse put all of David's brothers before Samuel, and he's like, no, not this one, not this one. And he landed on David, who would be the next king of Israel. I think he's jealous. I think that's what's going on. It's my guess. What verse am I on? 29. And David said, what have I done now? 
Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for them. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. How would you like to have that on your resume? I killed lions and bears with my bare hands. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like, the one, like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk in with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which uh, he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, I, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And one pastor says, this is where the Rocky music starts. dun da da dun da da dun da da dun da da Dun, dun, dun. Feeling it? All right, so verse 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone. Wouldn't you like a slow motion of this? And he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. Um, how's that a picture for your Sunday morning, uh, a picture in your mind? And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And when the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sheriam, even as far as Gath and Ekron, then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. Wow. It's a lot. So there you have it. It's quite the story. It's a story that I think most of us are familiar with, even uh, very secular people. You know, in sports, it's the David versus Goliath matchup, and we use that those terms because it's a story that we're just familiar with. It's a part of our of our culture. What I'd like to do with you this morning, though, is I'd like to focus on each party in this story. 
and what we might learn from each party regarding how we might approach life. So that's what we're going to do. The first character or group of characters we're going to look at is Goliath and the Philistines. Then we'll look at David. Then we'll look at Saul and the Israelites. So here's what I think we can learn from Goliath and the Philistines. Takeaway number one, pride causes us to crumble when pushed beyond our limits. So pride causes us to crumble when pushed beyond our limits. You need to know that the the Philistines were a constant problem to the Israelites which led to many battles between the Israelites and the Philistines during the reign of King Saul. Saul was the king of the Israelite people. You also need to know that the Philistines, they were expert metal workers. Expert metal workers. And so they had the latest tech when it came to weaponry. They knew how to take, the Bronze Age was just concluding, and the Iron Age was just starting, and the Philistines were at the forefront of fashioning weapons out of iron, and they were really good at it. Notice that if you were to read it in the verses prior to what I read, you would, you would find that Goliath had a spearhead that was made out of iron. It weighed 600 shekels or 15 pounds. Just the spearhead was 15 pounds of pure iron. Uh, the, the, the Philistines were also masters of making weapons out of bronze. Uh, the, the scripture passage says, prior to what I read, says that Goliath had a helmet and leg armor and a javelin made out of bronze. And so not only did the Philistines had the, have the latest military tech and were really advanced in that way, uh, ahead of the curve, very innovative in that way, but they also had uh, tons of chariots. First uh, Samuel 13 tells us they had 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and as many people as the sandwiches on this, the seashore. Now the Israelites, they weren't so well equipped. They did not have weapons made of iron, and they didn't have weapons made of bronze. The only people that had weapons made of iron and bronze were Saul and Jonathan. Actually, 1 Samuel 13 tells us that the Philistines intentionally kept iron-making technology and metal-making technology out of the hands of the Israelites on purpose so that they could have the advantage over them. 1 Samuel 13, 19 tells us there wasn't a blacksmith found in all of the land of Israel. So, not only did the Israelites, uh, not only were they at a disadvantage when it came to their weapons they're men, but they are also in an apparent disadvantage when it came to their leaders. Goliath was, well, he was Goliath. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. That's a big, big man. Yeah, basketball feet, uh, a basketball hoop is 10 feet tall. He was just about there. Um, he had armor his armor alone weighed, weighed 125 pounds. Can you imagine walking around with 125 pounds of weight? Um, he was a man of war from his youth, so he was a seasoned, larger-than-life warrior who was decked out in the latest and greatest military weapons and protection and gear. And you know what else that he was decked out in? was pride. All that Goliath had, his physical characteristics, his skills and abilities as a seasoned warrior, his weapons, his army, this all led him to be extremely self-confident, self-reliant, and self-glorifying. Some of Goliath's first words to the Israelites were, I defy the armies of Israel this day. And when David came to fight Goliath, as I read, you heard me read, Goliath's response was, am I a dog that you've come to me with sticks? In other words, you know who I am? I am Goliath, and you're sending out this young man to fight me? Have you lost your mind? Goliath said to David, come to me, 
And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. I, I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. I will defy Israel this day. By the way, in Israel, you know what was feared more than death? Was being dead and not given a proper burial and being left for the birds of the air. So what Goliath is saying, I'm going to make your worst nightmare come true. Goliath was the embodiment of pride. He was self-reliant. He sought his own glory. And of course, this is one way to approach life. And this is one approach to life that Americans celebrate. We do in this culture. We celebrate this Goliath approach to life. Make things happen for yourself. Make a name for yourself. Through hard work, you can be anything you want to be. Do it your way. Don't, like, don't let life control you. You control it. You're the master of your fate. You know what's best for you, so you chart your course through life. Now, here's the thing. This approach to life works so long as you never encounter circumstances and events that are beyond your ability to cope and manage. But the moment that you're thrust into a situation or a set of circumstances that push you beyond your limits, beyond your, you know, once you encounter a problem that you in your own, with your own intellectual ability aren't able to solve or you encounter a power that's beyond your control or a situation that's beyond your power to control or you encounter a situation that's beyond your ability to cope and manage or you encounter a situation that requires more money than what you have, then self-reliance does not work because the situation is beyond your limits. So as long as you never encounter a situation that is beyond your limits, well, then self-reliance can work. But when we come up against something that is mightier than than us, then self-reliance is really unreliable, isn't it? And even worse than unreliable, it's really no help at all. And And I think that we can all agree that life has a way of pushing us to circumstances and events that are beyond our limits. We try as hard as we can to avoid these situations because we hate being uncomfortable and we hate not being in control. But as hard as we try, we are not able to avoid these circumstances. Life has a way of bringing us to places beyond our limits. Life brought Goliath to a place beyond his limits. A battle with the living God and the pride of self-reliance and self-glorification was of no use for Goliath and actually led him to a place of ruin. And that's what pride does. All forms of pride lead to one destination and it is our ruin. Now, maybe you're thinking here this morning, you're like, well, you know what? I know a lot of prideful people, and they seem really happy, and they just seem to be living high on the hog, and life is good, and it always goes their way, and it always turns out, uh, you know, the, the way they want it to. And I would say, and they're focused, you know, they're, they're self-reliant, they're focused on their own glory. I would say that's only for a season that it's going to go well for them. For all we know, Goliath could have lived a good life for, for a time until life finally pushed him beyond his limits. Because I believe that life will either push the prideful but apparently happy people to a place that is beyond their limits, or, God forbid, they'll die fat and happy only to have to stand before Christ and hear him say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because pro-self, being, you know, all about being self-reliant and seeking my own glory, you know, pride is anti-God, and God never loses. 
If Goliath is the epitome of a pride that causes us to crumble when pushed beyond our limits, then I think David is the epitome of how, and this is the second takeaway, faith causes us to courageously face circumstances beyond our limits. So David was not a self-reliant, self-glorifying type of person. He was God-reliant. He was focused on God's glory. And as we read his words in our passage, his words just ooze with God confidence and just ooze with a concern for God's glory and his renown. To Goliath's trash talking, David responded with these words right before he charged Goliath, right before the Rocky music started. He said this, 1 Samuel 17, verses 45 through 47. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. The, ba- the battle wasn't about David, was it? It wasn't about his skill, it wasn't about his ability, it wasn't about his intellect, it wasn't about his ingenuity. It was about God, and it was about God's honor and God's glory. While the Israelites, the rest of the Israelites were so fixated on the, the, the reward that a person would get if they were able to take down Goliath, that, that was their focus, right? They would get the king's daughter. They would be able to be exempt from taxes. That's where their focus was on, their own glory, if somebody was to take down Goliath. But David wasn't focused on that. He had this passionate concern for God's glory and knew that it was going to have to be God's power that would free the Israelites from the Philistines. So where did David get this faith that led him to act courageously when life put him in a circumstance that was beyond his limits. Well, like Moses, David was refined in the wilderness. That's where David, his faith, that's where his faith grew and blossomed. David, he learned to know God, to trust God, to rely on God, in the wilderness when he was a shepherd. Out in the pastures where David, David's faith grew. David's faith, as one commentator puts it, was born in secret and nursed in solitude. Born in secret and nursed in solitude. Another commentator states, David had a real relationship with God. God was as real to him as his brothers were or even as Goliath was. There's no shortcut to the life of faith, which is the all-vital condition of a holy and victorious life. We must have periods of lonely meditation and fellowship with God. Thus alone can the sense of God's presence become the fixed possession of the soul, enabling it to say repeatedly with the psalmist, Thou art near, O God. You see, David's battle with Goliath was really won out in the wilderness. It was won in those times of silence and solitude with God and prayer, getting to know God, learning to trust God, you know, relying on God, learning to uh, tackle lesser battles against bears and lions and seeing how God could help him do that and how God was faithful to deliver him. Uh, from and his sheep from the lions and the bears. Out in the wilderness, surely David would, would have learned to, to shoot his slingshot. God was preparing David his entire life to be able to overcome this Philistine. J.D. Greer, a pastor, he has said this, Real courage, real character is never learned in the moment on the battlefield. In the moment on the battlefield. 
It's always learned in the pasture. Don't despise your pasture. You won't be ready for Goliath until God has developed you in the pasture. And so I asked you this morning, the wrong time to get ready for battle is when you're in battle, right? A football team, if they're getting ready for the game, in the game, they've already lost. The battle on Sunday, the game on Sunday is won on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Any coach will tell you that. The same is true in life. Are you anchoring yourself in Jesus through silence and solitude, through prayer, through scripture meditation, through participating in Christian community? Are you training yourself in the ways of Christ? Are you so anchored in him that when the storms of life come, you're able to courageously face them? Because when the storms of life come... That it's, it's a lot harder to get anchored in Jesus. I want to assign you a little homework activity, and I, I encourage you to do this. And what you need to do is you need to imagine the different parts of your life. Imagine, so there's your marriage relationship, or if you're not married, um, just your relationships in general. That's one aspect of your life. There's your family life. That's another component of your life. There's your work life and your finances. And then maybe another component would be your mental and physical health. And there may be some other parts of your life that you may list. But list them. And then what I encourage you to do is to take about 30 minutes, maybe longer, and prayerfully consider by yourself, alone with God, am I acting as a David or a Goliath in this aspect of my life? Am I acting as a David or a Goliath in this aspect of my life? If you're approaching an area of, a li- of your life as a Goliath, it's going to look like you're just, you'll be able to see, you're setting your own agenda in it, in it. Uh, you're not seeking counsel from God, you're relying on your own strength, your own mind, your own resources to accomplish whatever agenda you set in that area. You're going to be seeking to control and ensure certain outcomes and results that probably will in some way further your reputation, your glory, your happiness, your safety. It'll probably be void of any risk because was it a risk for Goliath? In his mind, no, he was fighting. I mean, who was going to defeat him? That's not courage. There was no fear in that. Fear, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's recognizing the fear, but still moving according to what God has called you to do, despite the fear being there. That's courage. If there's no fear, how can it be courage? How can it be courageous? If you're approaching an area of life as, as a David, you will be prayerfully considering, what is God's agenda in this area of my life? You're going to be just reminding yourself that I have to rely on God's wisdom and his strength and his resources to accomplish his agenda in this area. You're going to be seeking to relinquish and abandon outcomes to God and control. And you're also going to have an eye on how can this area of my life bring the most glory to God as possible? And how can this area of my life Be leveraged by God to bring people to him, to bring people to Christ. And you'll probably be taking risks. Let me give you some examples. One way to approach your marriage the Goliath way would be to never pray for your marriage. Never pray with your spouse. Never seek together what God wants out of your marriage. But instead, pursue your own vision for it. Rely on your own strength and resources to to pursue whatever vision you set for it. And you're probably going to be manipulating your spouse in some way so that you get the maximize, you, you maximize your own happiness. Right? To approach marriage as a David, you're going to be seeking God's vision for your marriage. You know, there's a lot of basic principles that transcend each marriage, but I really believe that God wants to accomplish certain things through certain ways in each individual 
marriage. And so you're seeking God's vision for your specific marriage. You're relying on his strength to help you extend forgiveness and love and grace to your spouse. You're focused on how can I partner with God to see my wife or husband become all that he has designed my wife or husband to be. How do I sacrifice for that? And then you're trusting that God, as you pursue his vision for your marriage, will do the heavy, heavy lifting. Let's look at our financial life. What would be a Goliath approach to your financial life? This is a Goliath approach to your financial life. I worked hard to make this money. This money is mine. I can spend it however I want. It's a Goliath approach. It's about me. It's about my glory, my happiness, what I desire and want. A David approach to money is, no, this is God's money. It's not even my money anyways. He's entrusted it to me. I'm a steward of it. How does he want me to spend my money in 2018 to maximize his glory in the world and to draw men and women and children to Jesus Christ? How can I take care of my needs, which I need to do, but then invest a whole bunch of money in God's kingdom purposes? A Goliath approach to your physical well-being would be, you know what, I'm going to work out and I'm going to get healthy because I want people to look at me and notice me. I want people to look at me and say, she's had three kids and now, man, look at her body, man. Or I'm a dude and, um, you know, I'm working out hard and I'm taking care of myself because I want people to look at me and say, man, he's fit. Man, he's, he's in good shape. Uh, a David way to approach our physical well-being would be, you know what, God has given me this body, and I need to be a steward of it as well, just like my money. And I want to be as healthy as possible to serve God with all my might for as long as possible, and so I'm going to take care of myself for that purpose. And so I encourage you to work through these areas. Mary and I did something like this last year as we looked at 2017, and it was helpful, and we're going to do something like that again as we look here into 2018. So, number one, takeaway number one is this. If I can remember, let me go back here. Um, Pride causes us to crumble when pushed beyond our limits, and life will push us beyond our limits. Rest assured, I think we all know that. Secondly, um, am I are realizing, no, where am I at? Faith causes us to courageously face circumstances beyond our limits. That's what enabled David to do it. And I encourage you to look at each area of your life. Are you acting as a David or a Goliath? Here's the third and final point. It is this. So how do we get a faith? So I think the question is, how do we get a faith that leads to courageous living? Well, David's was developed over time in the wilderness. But you know what else we need? We need to realize we have a champion that is leading us. And as we realize that we have a champion that leads us, then that will give us a faith that will make us courageous. The SV Study Bible, uh, in its commentary part, will tell you that in, in biblical and ancient near literature, a champion is a man who steps out to fight between two battle lines. The champion represents the army that they're from. They're the army's representative. And they go and they battle on behalf of the army that they belong to for that army. And if the champion wins that representing that army, then the members of that army get the reward and the blessing that comes with winning. If the champion loses, then the champion's fate becomes his people's fate and the rest of his army's fate. Goliath was the Philistines' champion. You know who was supposed to be the Israelites? King Saul. King Saul was a seasoned military leader. He was, as Samuel tells us, the the book of 1 Samuel tells us, he was head and shoulders taller than any other Israelite guy. He was to be the one to fight Goliath. He should have been the Israelites' champion. 
But verse 11 in our passage tells us that the rest of the Israelite men, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. And I think that most of the time, at least I can identify more with Saul and the Israelites than I can Goliath or David. I don't know about you, but that's where I often can find myself. Just weak and scared to death. The Israelites and Saul, they, were, they weren't Goliath. They weren't like just really self-reliant and prideful and I got this. But they weren't David either where they were just God-reliant and God-confident and really seeking God's glory. They were just insecure, afraid, and weak. And so the question is, for us that identify more with Saul and the Israelites, and we struggle with fear and worry and insecurity, how do we become like a David? Well, one approach is we we tell ourselves, first we beat ourselves up because we have a lack of faith. That's the first step normally. And then we just say, hey, I just got to tell myself I need to have more faith. I just need to be more like David. Does that work? Does that give you courage? Does that bring you to a place where you're living courageously? I don't think it helps. I don't think it's helpful. I Actually, I think it can compound our suffering because we're beating ourselves up that we're struggling to have faith in the situation. So what's the answer? What did Saul and the Israelites need to be courageous Well, they needed a champion, didn't they? They needed a representative to fight the battle for them. They needed a David. You know what we need? We need a champion if we're going to live courageously. And we have one. Jesus is our champion. Jesus is our David. Jesus is our representative who went into battle for us. He's the one that faced our greatest enemy, the enemy that there's no way we could defeat, the enemy of Satan, sin, and death. That's that's who Jesus went into battle and faced on our behalf. And like David, Jesus was victorious, which means just like the Israelites were able to join in and, and receive the spoils of victory in war, we get to receive the spoils of the, of the victory that Jesus has won through his death and resurrection. Satan no longer has a grip on us. Sin no longer has power of, uh, over us. Death has lost its sting because resurrection awaits us. God's spirit is living inside of us, empowering us, transforming us. We, we have an inheritance kept in heaven for us, a new heavens and new earth that we look forward to. You see, because Jesus took out the real giants in our life, we can bravely face all other lesser giants. Since he took out the biggest giant, we can face all other lesser giants with him courageously. You know, one of the things we really fear is dying. We fear death. Well, death has lost its sting because of our champion. And we no longer have to fear it because we know that death, for those of us who are in Christ through faith, it's not the end of us. Another thing we we fear a lot about too is, what if I lose my job and I'm no longer able to provide for my needs and the needs uh, of the people who rely on me? Well, we have a champion. And our champion has promised that he will provide all our needs. So we no longer have to fear Sometimes we, or a lot of times, I think we feel people disapproving of us or rejecting us or abandoning us. Those are, those are fears that people wrestle with. But again, we have a champion who has promised that he'll never leave nor forsake us and who accepts us and who has just brought us right into his family. And it's his opinion that really counts anyways. You know, a lot of us fear getting a terminal illness that will take us out, something like cancer. Well, again, if Jesus, our champion, has won the victory over death and we share in it, we don't have to fear because we can say with Paul, for me to live and to, you know, is Christ, but to die is gain. It's win-win, right? Tim Keller has stated this. Real courage comes 
not from knowing everything, is going to go smoothly. Courage is not assurance of every victory or the absence of fear. Courage comes from having something more valuable to you than life that you know death cannot threaten. And I would even argue even the worst circumstances in life cannot threaten or take away. Nothing that we face here can take away Christ Emmanuel, our champion, with us in the hope that we have, the the assurance that we have of the future that awaits us. And so when fear and worry sees us, we have to run to our champion. We have to run to the promises that he has made to us. It's the only way we're going to get the courage to face the circumstances that are inevitable that push us beyond our limits. And so I ask you this morning, is Jesus your champion? Is Jesus your champion? Or are you going at life alone, either riddled by fear and insecurity and worry like Saul and the Israelites, or in a prideful distance from God like a Goliath, Or is Christ your champion? Are you fighting your battles by yourself and trying to conquer Satan, sin, and death on your own, which you'll never be able to do? Or have you trusted your life to Jesus and his death and what it's done for you to free you from sin and death and to reconcile you to God? Have you turned to the champion in repentance and faith? Today, As we go into communion, what we're able to do is we're able to celebrate this morning for those of us that are in Christ the faith that we have this champion that enables us to have a faith that is courageous. And a lot of times what we'll do is it's more of a reflective kind of mood that we set, but this morning it's going to be more of a celebratory mood in here because sometimes we need to approach communion with excitement and joy because of what we're celebrating and what we're remembering that Jesus became our champion for us through his life and death, especially through his death in our place. So what we're going to do as we take communion, I have a song that I've listened to numerous times that I really love. It's by Brian and Katie Torwalt. It's titled Champion. And we have the lyric video that's going to be on the screen as we take communion. So if you are a Christian, we invite you. If you're a Jesus follower, we invite you to the table as we take communion. And I would encourage you to be thinking about the lyrics of this song, be celebrating for those of us who have made that decision for Christ that we have a champion. Oh 